Welcome back, Dreadfuls. You're listening to another episode of Left for Dread, the horror podcast for everyone from newbies to fanatics. I'm one of your congested hosts, Rai. And I'm one of your sleep-deprived hosts, Chris. <laughs> and we're at we're at 20%, but coming at you with 100% horror. And this week on our Stephen King um, monthly marathon, our countdown to Pet Cemetery, which comes out in April, uh, we're the, uh, this week we're I'm on deck, and I wanted to watch one of the hokiest Stephen King movies out there, and it was such a pleasure. I'm talking about Cars That Kill You. That's right. We're we're reviewing Maximum Overdrive and Christine today. <laughs> I <laughs> so I have never been so grateful for a topic that chris has picked because i've seen christine before mm-hmm. i've never seen maximum overdrive so happy so happy it's so perfectly cheesy 80s full stop like this movie is amazing and i want to i want to apologize to stephen king for being nominated for like two uh, Raspberry Awards for Worst Director and Worst Actor. Oh, actually, well, Stephen King got nominated for Worst Director. Emilio Estevez, who plays one of the main characters, uh, got nominated for Worst Actor. And I that is a travesty because this movie is schlocky and camp at its best. And it's so good. And I I don't know if... It's really I I really want to pick Stephen King's brain because I don't know if he intentionally did it to be this schlocky or he was or he, I I I feel like he was just having a lot of fun with this movie or maybe he was just testing out like d- directing because this is this is his first and only movie that he directed in. I mean he's appeared in some of his works or some uh, um. Well, he, he appears in cameos and some of his works. Which is very Alfred Hitchcock of him, and I love it. But he's not, like, he's not, like, super incognito. Like, in this one, you knew it was him right off the bat. Yeah, it's, like, very in your face. And it's, and it's very, I feel like this movie, it's, it's so tongue-in-cheek and so, like, pulpy and weird. I feel like he made all these deliberate choices and he made he set out to make such a campy movie and i feel like just it was just ahead of its time i feel like people the audiences just didn't get it because they were expecting like the more somber dreadful like just existentially terrifying kind of fair that we usually get through his books i mean i'm sorry i beg to differ I having and I think you and I had this conversation. I think the first thing I said to you when I started Maximum Overdrive was when I think of machines taking over the world, this isn't quite what I had in mind because it is kind of funny, but it's also kind of terrifying in some respect to have something that in in the instances of these towns and these people, something that you so heavily rely on to turn on you in such a capacity there's still an element of paranormal and paranormal fear in that, in what you don't understand. And 
It can still be terrifying, but I like that he took something that you that like in Christine was truly terrifying and turned it into something like terrifyingly funny. You don't like you can still have fun with it. You can still be terrified. Like don't forget it's still it car versus machine, I mean car versus human, the car's going to win every time. It's just facts of life. It's going to win. It's a giant piece of metal machinery and it's going it will kill you or maim you or whatever. When you give it a mind of its own or a spirit of its own, that's that's fucked. When you have a truck with the face of Green Goblin, it's uh, it's it you're, you're, you're dead. That was the <laughs> game over. So there's still there's definitely still like a fear element, but I like that he took two different approaches to it. One was definitely the horror route, and the other one, while it had horror elements and was still pretty scary, it was kind of funny too. And it sort of like let you let you laugh a little bit at the situation because in situations like that, sure, you have to try to find the humor and everything. Like, what are you going to do? Just stay panicked the whole time? You can't do that. You can't function. I just, I just, I just love how the movie just presents facts and just forces you to run with it. And you're just like, okay, th- this is where we're going. It's, it's just leaves. Oh, I loved like, it. Like the fact that like loved it. no, no one ever questioned why the gas station owner has a rocket launcher and like an entire weapons cache it's like oh he just collects right. things he, he bought them all it's like oh okay fine <laughs> i i this is one of those like rare occasions where i have nothing bad to say about something that chris picked <laughs> i i'm i'm so honored <laughs> no just like it's 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 because 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 you like body horror and things that just do genuinely make me uncomfortable. I'm, sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologize. Everybody has their own niche tastes and it is what it is. And it's very rare that I will not agree with you on how good or bad the movie is. But, well, agree with you in the sense that I will actually, from start to finish like thoroughly enjoy like I felt like a child watching this it was sort of like me rediscovering horror movies for the first time because that's how I felt the first time I saw Child's Play I was watching a horror movie but I thought it was a fucking laugh riot that a doll was killing people I thought it was hilarious the idea of an alien possessed truck with the face of Green Goblin on it going after people at a truck stop is fucking hilarious it's scary and fucking hilarious so it just like it brought me back to a point of old school nostalgia, which is why I think I enjoyed it so much. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. I just, I, it's just everything, like just the title itself, Maximum Overdrive. It's I a very like Christmas movie. It's a very Christmas movie. It has like, it had like my love for Mad Max. You just have a like, killer, killer vehicles. You have um, like, yeah, I really enjoyed the practical effects, like especially. I there was like some parts where like I forgot about, and I really took me back, like that one scene where, um. Oh gosh, it was like the the drawbridge was going up, and then out of nowhere, like a a, a woman like literally crashes through her windshield, and I, I was like, oh my god, I really like legitimately like surprised me he's like oh and shit and so um or like and then there's like really hokey but still like really terrifying moment kills other like like someone being r- r- rolled over by a steamroller 
or just like really weird like tongue-in-cheek but still slightly scary moments like the lawnmower starting itself up and chasing the kid after the bike i thought that was so good there's like (laughs) there's just so many like small like little moments of genius like that just sprinkled throughout just like it just oh it just warmed my heart so we can obviously tell which of the two movies was chris's favorite Oh, I mean, I think, I mean, it was no contest. I, I mean, I love, and, 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 and like, I just, it makes it way more, be- just, it just elevates to new heights. Like the entire soundtrack was just one long ACDC music video. It's, it's so good. Like it just had like the best, the best, best hits. I will give it that. It had an amazing soundtrack. Yeah. The entire soundtrack was, uh, uh, performed and composed by ACDC and it had all their best hits, like. Hell's Bells and You Shook Me All Night Long and uh, it was just it was just fantastic. It just it told it like nailed the the perfect tone of this movie and it just yes it was scary but yes you just had so much fun you know all for the ride and just ACDC was just a very very nice uh, cherry on top. So let's get into a little bit since we're already singing its praises let's get a little bit into maximum overdrive and this wee little film so this one came out after christine it's uh it was in 1986 only about three years and one of the things that bothered me until the end of the movie was the so there's a newlywed couple in the movie and the wife looked and sounded very familiar to me. And it was pissing me off that I couldn't place it. So I looked her up. And my, and I, it kind of like, it really irritated me that I couldn't place it before. But she is the voice of Lisa Simpson. Yes, that's uh, Yardley, Yardley Smith. And I like looked at her and I was like, why do you look familiar? Why do you sound familiar? Why can't I remember this? And this is irritating me. Now, I'll be honest. I'm not like the huge, like the biggest Simpson fan. I was like, mind blown. That was my little cherry on top of it. Also, Emilio Estevez. Just, oof, so cute. I remember him in like the Mighty Ducks. I had like such a thing for him in the Mighty Ducks. The Mighty, he was he was so he was he's so young here though. It's crazy. I know he's so young here. He's such a baby. So as Chris said, um, Maximum Overdrive is King's only dictatorial effort. Uh, despite the fact that there have been so many movies that have been based on his novels and short stories. And I do think that sometimes there are some elements of Stephen King's books that can be a little campy, which is why I never had a problem with the campiness of this movie. Because when you write horror or when you write something that's so serious, there are definitely going to be times, intentional or not, where your writing may or may not come off as as campy. And I don't see anything wrong with that. I think you, you own it, you deal with it, and you move on. And I love the opening where you see Stephen King, who I think he's actually talking to his real life wife, Tabitha, in the movie. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. And he goes, hey, honey, this machine just called me an asshole. And I was like, this is, (laughs) it's literally just the way he delivers it and the way it's set up. It delivers the tone for the whole movie. And again, if you think that a horror movie should only be serious, then you are missing out on a whole beautiful subgenre of horror and horror comedies. 
whether they were intentionally made to be comedies or not, you're you're fucking missing out. You sometimes you just you you gotta laugh. You gotta laugh, which is why I like slasher movies. Sometimes sometimes they're fucking hilarious. Watching someone get you know ice picked through the eyeball or some shit like it's funny. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I am like it's just it's it's about delivery and 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 I think that again horror you need to be able to be allowed to laugh and this allows you to laugh at other people's pain <laughs> and not feel guilty about it. <laughs> and Stephen King, he just it just goes for it like, and I again um, I mean I I actually I want to get your opinion on this. So according to an interview, apparently. This is still in the time period where King uh, was still, like, severely going through a lot of cocaine consumption. And uh, he apparently was on coke. Yeah, he was on coke throughout this entire production. And, I mean, I mean, sure, you could blame it on the coke. But I feel like Stephen King still has this kind of panache in his style. And I think it's, I think it's still... I think you, you, you like whether or not that's like a valid thing or not, or uh, or just hearsay. Um, I think he Stephen King still has this wild charm and this this. I think he knew exactly what he was doing, um, despite that. And I just I just re- feel really sad that this is this is only movie that he felt like after this after all the bad press he gave up. And he never wanted to do it, or no, never wanted to direct another movie again. And that's a shame because I would love to see another King movie. Or, um, you know, I was thinking about this a lot when I was watching the film, and you know, in today's um, current events and technology and R and D, you have a lot of these like you trying people trying to figure out how self driving cars work, and and. I would love to see a modern take on Maximum Overdrive, or just like a like a like a facelift, directed by King again, um, of what he thought about self-driving cars, and and just add slasher horror elements or sci-fi elements to that, and, and see how that idea could germinate like twenty four thirty, or I mean, like at least thirty years later. I mean, it'd be really really interesting to revisit that idea. I think that with the exception of a few adaptations, I do think that a lot of Stephen King adaptations, like film to like novel to screen or short story to screen adaptations that are out there are faithful. And if they're not completely the few changes that were made, I don't think it's a detriment to anything in any way with, like I said, the few exceptions. What I think is a tragedy is that he has a part of his universe that he has created that is extraordinarily beloved by a lot of Stephen King fans. I'm talking about the Dark Tower. And I'm bringing this up for a reason. Randall Flagg is a prominent figure in the Dark Tower and in a lot of the other stuff. He's in the stand. There's a whole, there's a, like I said, his whole thing is connected in one universe. And he's brilliant for that. And I think that there are, Elements, and this is how I felt reading about Randall Flagg, whether it was in The Dark Tower or in The Stand. There are elements of Randall Flagg that can come off as campy. And 
I think it's great because when you have the situations that you have in these books, you should be allowed to laugh a little at the at the corniness or at the at the campiness of some of this. So even given the total failure of the Dark Tower, that is something I think if King were to ever return to directing, I really truly believe that he should come back and do that only because at this point in time I don't see anybody else except what's inside his head really bringing all of that to life. He could do both. You can obviously do both. He obviously went in a very campy direction with Maximum Overdrive, but that's not to say he can't do something serious. So, admission, I actually haven't seen the Dark Tower movie. And neither have I. I won't see it. Okay. I won't see it because I... I've only read the first three, and it's a Tom loves the series, like absolutely loves it. The fact that I haven't gone through all of them, I think broke his heart a little bit. But it's just, it's a lot to take in. Says the girl who's rereading Harry Potter before their, her honeymoon. But priorities, it's fine. All of it. I'm rereading all of it. But it's it's a lot to take in because there are a lot of things that you need to remember throughout all of these books. And it's just a lot of information to take in, especially for someone who's reading it for the first time. But I know when I saw the trailer for it, I was like, oh, oh, no, I was I was unhappy. Now, I don't remember King's reaction to the Dark Tower, but... I would love to see him direct again, but I would love to see him do that because it has both elements. And I really do think that it's enough of a time a time jump and a, and a drug addiction later that he can really, really do something with it. I also love how candid Stephen King has been about his drug use and his accident and the, then the drug use after that and how it affected his life. He, and I, I said this when we were talking about uh, it there are parts of his novels that he doesn't remember writing because of how much he was doing and I think that that said I think that there's a part of that that definitely got lost but I also blame it on why he ended it the way he did <laughs> but I think that um I would like to see him come back for that I really would I think Stephen King returned to directing, but direct The Dark Tower, because I really, truly believe only you can bring that to life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I mean, I mean, feel like direct... I mean, directing's not easy, and... I feel like if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. Yeah, and, like, you should... I, I don't know. I, this is not... I mean, I, I, I totally respect Stephen King's choices, and I, I don't blame Stephen King. Um, and also... I don't know. I, I I guess it really depends. I mean, like, just I I feel like with some movies, they, like they again. I really really think that this movie was ahead of its time. And I, in the years since, there have been like positive reappraisals of the movie, and I'm really appreciative of that. Um, and I just hope like Stephen King doesn't, you know, in his in his life, the rest of his lifetime, or you know, I hope in our the rest of our lifetimes, we he can get back in the saddle again, because like. You know, there's other there's been other redemption stories like M Night Shyamalan. You know, he he made he made some great films, and then he, he went through this period where like he made some really shite films, and then then he came back and he doing some some pretty great stuff so, like with Split and and um, Glass. So I don't know. I think it's possible. 
I would love to see King come back and do this. Um, especially because a lot of the stuff, I mean, he's still writing books, but I, I would love to see him go back and visit some of his old stuff through the brain he has now. I think that that would be a really amazing thing to see. So I'm I'm with you in the sense that I, I do feel bad that he was discouraged from directing because he has a lot to give. That being said, Maximum Overdrive, I, 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 it's despite the lukewarm response it got, it has become a cult classic. I think that's like, it gained a cult following. It's a great movie. And I don't say that about a lot of, it's fucking great. I think it's hilarious and, and horrific all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know we've talked about like, at length about like sequels or not. And like, I, if there's going to be like a revival or like Stephen King returns or, or someone takes on the helm, I mean, I think the movie ended off with like a pretty, pretty nice cliffhanger. I mean, like, or it's like a, sort of a pseudo ambiguous ending. Um, or like, or I think it could be ripe for a reboot. I think it's been long enough where you get, you could bring in some fresh ideas. See, I had this idea that if you were to try and modernize it, I feel like some part of it would have to take place in like Amish Pennsylvania where there are do- where there are horse and buggies where they don't use technology. Mm. Like I just <laughs> I feel like you have to include some of that because that is you know sort of like the time we're living in where people I mean not everyone's obviously Amish but you know like m- maybe you follow some Amish kids who are going on their rumspringa to decide whether they want to stay Amish or not, and then this happens, and they're like, I'm never going back, and they all, like, flee back to their, like, (laughs) little Amish compound. I don't know. Like, for some strange reason, that, like, popped into my head while I was watching, and I was like, this would not fly in Pennsylvania. (laughs) But... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think in the spirit of... Of maximum overdrive, I think that will really. I, I mean, because work. like I'm be trying to think of like a modern equivalent. Like people don't rely on truck stops like that too much anymore, and the whole like charming Midwest thing doesn't doesn't really work for our for our era for like our generation. So I feel like you have to do something. Not that not that like Amish kids going on Rumspringa is like relevant to us, but it we know it still happens. So. That's your camp element right there, man. Like, well, I think on, the, I think on, <laughs> I think on the other side on, to take take it down a, a, another avenue. I I love how, um, especially in, in the last couple of years, um, you know, with like with Stranger Things and, um, you know, with the It remakes and like certain prop certain games like Kids on Bikes. Where you have an entire generation obsessed with the '80s, but they never actually grew up in the '80s, and like they still want to relive that magic. So, I, in terms of that, I, I I see no reason why you couldn't just remake it the same time period. I mean, um, um, just maybe put it somewhere in a, like a, try it in a different area, try it in a different locale. I don't know. I think I think it, I think it would work. That's true. I mean, you do make a valid point. Um, that could still work. I just, I don't know why, I just thought it would be hilarious to deal with... Oh, <laughs> you just, you just, 
But yes, I, I'm not denying your Amish idea, but we should. <laughs> well, because I was thinking about the things that they that came after them in the movie, and I'm like, well, there's only a few places on Earth where this ending and this lack of technology thing, I feel like, would actually fly. We'll work on it. We'll, we'll, you know what? Okay, we will make a separate episode, <laughs> and we'll 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 we'll, ha- we'll give ourselves one hour to break and write an entire script, or at least a, a plot, a plot beat to beat, five act structure of the Maximum Overdrive remake, and we'll submit it to Jordan Peele's Monkey Paw Productions because they're accepting cr- screenplays, and we will we will honor, we will we will ma- do justice to Stephen King with the tr- with a with a True spiritual successor to Maximum Overdrive because we we gotta, and then we'll cast we'll cast Willem Dafoe and he'll voice the truck. It'll be amazing. Just because his face is on the front of the truck doesn't mean he needs to be the voice of the truck. Need I remind you that these trucks communicate <sighs> through honking? I know. Like the Boy Scout was like, I just got Mor- my badge Morse code. <laughs> so let's move on to the other killer automobile that is sh- gracing us with its presence in this episode and we're going to talk about christine by john carpenter yes this came out three years earlier than maximum overdrive this came out in 1983 and i have to tell you i don't have a license i know how to drive i don't drive and i'm mm-hmm. well i mean you, you live in new york city that's a very valid yeah yeah like i i don't feel like ashamed that i don't have a light like i don't i don't give a fuck like i don't care you don't i mean no, you don't. When when you live in New York City, you please don't have that. Don't give your don't burden yourself with the headache of having a car in the city. You just you have the train. You can walk everywhere. It's it's okay. I I have I live in one of those states, and I live in PA where you literally have to drive everywhere. Um, I mean, yes, there's a train system, but like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, actually, for me, personal preference, I'm like, I I really legitimately enjoy driving. So the thing that I took away from this movie and and the other one is Christine is the car that you want and maximum overdrive is the situation you like don't want to be in because I'm not like a huge fan of really old cars, but damn, I want a 58 Plymouth Fury in Christine red after seeing this movie. Okay. Right. Well, okay. It's good to have goals, Ryan. We will get you that car. So, (laughs) Speaking of of which, you 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 can't, and here's why. Oh, so they used they used twenty different cars for this movie. Oh, and wait to yeah. to wait, but to build. Well, they destroyed a lot of. them. Oh, did they destroy the last Plymouth Fury on this movie? Well, no. So so here's the thing. So of the twenty cars that were used in the movie, some of them definitely got destroyed. Only two still exist. One is a stunt vehicle that has an automatic transmission that does that is in private hands at the moment. And then the other one was actually rescued from a junkyard. Oh, cool. And completely restored by a collector. But either way, like you can't you, you can't like have one is sort of my point. Well, have one from the movie, but you can still get a. 
58 Plymouth Fury in general, well, the, unless I mean, the I don't Furies, know. The Furies weren't actually like made in that Christine Red. Oh, way. okay. So remember the lineup at the beginning of the movie where you saw all of that, all of the, that's the color it came in was though, was those other colors oh, okay called like buckskin beige or some shit oh I see. and then there was christine mm. she was special oh okay. she's the devil herself and i love it <laughs> wow. devil in red um so i just i again like i i'm not like a huge car person but i found it really interesting like reading up about all the cars that they used for this john carpenter evidently placed ads throughout southern california searching for the models of these cars and bought 24 of them that were in different states of like disrepair and of all of that they were used to build a total of 17 copies of the film car i mean i could i could i definitely get that because they put christine through the grinder literally and like they've john carpenter he's like such a genius and he's so creative with and so i think he really he has a really uh, a really excellent eye for talent when it comes to like picking out who's or picking up his team for like practical effects and production like like i st- like I, tr- I i i didn't i don't have like a background in film so i assume maybe they filmed it backwards but i'm still trying to figure out how the hell do they film like Christine healing itself? Like you just see close-ups of like defender benders and stuff. I have the answer to that. Okay, so originally Carpenter didn't plan to film the regeneration scenes of Christine, but when he was done shooting, he was like, "No, no, no we should we should do this." So the shots of the car regenerating were shot in post and were done using hydraulics. Oh, yes. Okay, that totally makes sense. And in a lot of parts of the movie, the Fury was actually a Belvedere and the Savoy, which were two other Plymouth models. So that not, the whole time, it wasn't always just a Fury. A lot of them, they were these two other models that they had sort of built to look like a Fury, especially when they had to destroy them. And I think what I found the most ballsy part of this movie was that the filming for this started literal days after the novel was published. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. Like days. Not even like later that year, whatever. Just days. The producer on this had actually produced the Salem's Lot miniseries too. I mean, why Why was the producer... I, I guess, I, I mean, I guess, did he have a really close relationship with, with King or... He, did he just have like a special spark or idea, uh, attachment to it? Well, he, so sort of through producing the miniseries, he became like acquainted with King and he had sent him the manuscripts of Cujo and Christine. So he purchased the rights to Christine after he was sort of uh where's that quote okay so corbett's purchased the rights to christine after finding himself attracted to the novel's quote-unquote celebration of america's obsession with the motor car and then corbett's who was the producer actually his his first choice for director was john carpenter so i thought that was actually pretty cool but um initially john carpenter wasn't available to film this 
because he was doing Firestarter at the time. And then another movie called The Ninja. And then there were production delays on those projects. So that's why he was able to film Christine. I think I think it's like a perfect matchup. Like King, the source making for King and like John Carpenter's like style and his eye for 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 just just his focus on like practical effects and and like I just like I actually I, I it's been a week. I'm, my memory's a little bit hokey. He, John Carpenter did the soundtrack too, did he? Two soundtracks were released, one consisting purely of the music written and composed by John Carpenter and Alan Howarth, and then the other one was the original motion picture soundtrack, which was all the songs that appeared in the movie. Yeah, all the old-timey uh, 50s songs, like Buddy Holly, George Thurgood, uh, so on and so forth. Um, yeah. So, I, so either way, we've clearly established that Maximum Overdrive is the perfect movie. Did did you have any like criticisms of Christine? No, not at all. Like I said, I had seen Christine before and I had no I had no qualms with Christine whatsoever. In fact, I I ha- I think I don't remember having the same reaction, but I remember being utterly delighted by a possessed car when I saw it the first time. This is just a, a wee quote. According to Carpenter, Christine was not a film he had planned on directing, saying that he directed the film as a job as opposed to a personal project. He had previously directed The Thing from 1982, which had done poorly at the box office and led to critical backlash. In retrospect, Carpenter stated that upon reading Christine, he felt that it just wasn't very frightening, but it was something that I needed to do at the time for my career. So... The big difference, and I haven't read Christine, I've only seen the movie, but according to this, the source material, which was the novel for the film, made it clear that the car was possessed by the evil spirit of its previous owner, whereas in the film version, the story shows that the evil spirit of the car manifested itself on the day it was built. And obviously, there are other elements from a novel that when you adapt it to film, get changed. But that sort of goes with the theme of like maximum overdrive of something having its own awareness and its own manifestation. That is, that is horrifying. That's why, that's why Hal from 2001 Space Odyssey is so fucking scary to me. So I actually think that I would like that element of the movie more than I would like novel. Like, it, it manifested itself just like by just by it like being built. It's, it's not just sentient; it's like malevolent too. It's yeah. Somebody as soon as so while while the, it's on the assembly line, a guy gets in the car and I see he has a cigar in his hand. I'm like, oh, he's gonna die. He's gonna die. And I knew the entire the entirety of the inside of the car was covered in plastic. And he still got like cigar ash on the seat. I was like, oh, wrong move, wrong move. And then he died. What was your favorite kill um, in um, Christine? Like my personal favorite was just like, just from like a cinematic and production standpoint. And just like, it was just very visually striking. Just like the flaming car chasing after one of the bullies 
are the lead bully and then oh, and running yeah. them over. That was like that was my favorite. How about yours? My favorite was the death that we didn't necessarily get to see so much when the when Christine pinned the bully to the back of the alley after she like squeezed herself in there. When the cop came and said, well, we had to scrape half of him off the ground, I was just like, that is a visual. That is wonderful. And it became my best kill. Even if it happened off screen, it doesn't matter. The description of the aftermath was enough that I was like, ooh, okay. And then, of course, the end where it, like, jumped from Christine to like the tractor and then back to Christine when it was like in the little cube and you heard the radio go on. I was like, oh. yeah. And then, then you basically had like a car mecha kaiju battle fight in the, in the, in, in the garage. I loved it so much. Of course you did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but each one of these movies have their own killer elements, if you will, that I think, really help make it its own and like i said before give it a a terrifying feeling in its own right you know what i mean like christine is scary because it is a sentient malevolent thing possessing a car that you actively see trying to kill people and actually succeed in killing people and then there's something like Maximum Overdrive where it's an otherworldly, call it supernatural, call it alien, call it whatever, uh, force that is terrorizing people to the point where, and I thought this was funny, like they spend three days terrorizing these people and then call a ceasefire because they're hungry and they want more fuel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ballsy bitches. It's Ballsy. so. It's just so. It's such a weird, bizarre idea. I mean, it would take. It would. It takes a lot of energy to keep circling a truck stop to make sure the humans don't get out. Yeah, and then they. Then they get. They. They. They possess. Um, like a like an army buggy and with a with the with a mounted machine gun. It's like, okay, yeah, you're very convincing. I I obey. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> So I, I think that they're both successful in their own ways. And I just this was just like a really like fun episode. This this was it was they were two like fun yeah, exactly. These were like two like fun movies about killer machinery. This is like a good night in movie. Like I wanna watch a horror movie, but I wanna but I wanna laugh a little. Okay, watch Maximum Overdrive. Uh, hell yeah. Do you have second thoughts about stemming to a car now? One that's cherry red, or, or maybe you're like, oh, no, no, I still want like <laughs> still want, a pristine yeah. red, like 1958 Plymouth Fury. Like I, I just I want one. Like like I said, like Christine, like watching Christine makes me want the killer car, and Maximum Overdrive is never a situation I ever want to be in. But I'm delighted watching other people go through it. I feel like if there's like a killer car, or like a horror car experience, that you would live through like in the situation it doesn't have to be like a killer car like christine but in a in a horror movie in a situation where like a car became a central point of a scene or in some cases a whole movie out of the whole world of horror to pick from 
what situation, not what car would you want from that, but like what situation would you want to be in? Uh, well, I guess the, the, I can answer this with two birds with one. Uh, wow, I cannot talk. I can, I can, I can, I can two I can birds, do, one stone. Yes, yes, that's the okay. word. So, <laughs> one of my other favorite um, car related horror movies is Death Proof. But from Grindhouse Double Feature, directed by Quentin Tarantino, and oh wait, no, are you shaking your head? No, because no, that's that's an of course. Okay, I, just, I have nothing against Death Proof. Okay, because because you know why? Because Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell is basically a slasher, but instead of using a knife, he kills people with with a Dodge Charger or like like this. I I love that car. I would love to have. That car as a, so you want to be sitting in the back seat while Kurt Russell is doing his thing. Yes, and you want that car. Okay. Yes, yes, and I, I want to. Yes, either, either I want to be Kurt Russell, uh, Kurt Russell, and the shot and sitting shotgun, or or I want to be the the wheel man, and I want to be I, I want to be driving with Zoe Bell because I she is an amazing stunt woman and I love her to death. And I, 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 I admit it, like, without shame, I do have a crush on her because she's such a badass and she does all her own stunts. And, like, that, that movie, like, the stunts that she did for, like, that, like, that 10 minute, that 10 minute long, uh, drive scene, like, the stuff she does is, like, mm, so good. So, I want to be her Rosario Dawson. Well, if I could have any car it would be christine hands down but for whatever reason my twisted brain is like you want to be in cujo in the back of the car while the dog is attacking the car because yeah i do because in a car with three of us i'm kicking the kid out and i'm kicking her out and i'm surviving so yeah i want to be in the cujo car also because i know that I would just be sitting there and like, oh, who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? <laughs> I know you have rabies, but who's a good boy? So, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I want Christine. I just, I don't want just like any old like 1958, like cherry red Plymouth beer. I want Christine. So with that, thank you guys for listening to another episode of Left for Dread. Please, please, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Literally everything helps. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, iTunes every single Friday. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram at Left 4 Dread Pod. We have a Facebook group. And guys, come check us out on our brand new website, courtesy of Wix at leftfordread.com. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and um, we're st- we still have uh, um, some more Stephen King mar- movie marathon stuff to to wrap up before Pet Cemetery, which is April April fifth. Uh, Ryan, what's on deck for next week? What what can our dreadfuls expect from the from the ki- the the kingdom comes of I can't talk. What can we expect next week? Next time we are actually going into the OG Pet Cemetery in honor of the remake that is coming out in April. And I'm really excited because I do love Pet Cemetery and I have a lot of thoughts on it. So mm-hmm. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Yes. So get hyped. Um, uh, get your homework done. 
and then pre- prepare for for all all things all things furry and cuddly and coming out of graves to to you know to be with you forever and ever. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget, stay dreadful. <laughs>